Um, but in the book of Hebrews, you get this, you, you've heard me say this repeatedly now, but you get this idea and this image of change. And these Hebrew people are being expected to change so much of what they had known their entire life as they go from an old covenant to a new covenant, as they go from kind of a religion kind of to relationship. And all of these changes are going on. And it made me start thinking about different changes with people in our church. Uh, and, you know, we have two couples in our church that uh, are celebrating this summer 50 years of being married. Isn't that amazing? Uh, the first one, the first one was in the last service. Let's go to the, the jump over to the next slide. Jim and Chris Beard uh, were in the last service, but but I love these pictures because look at those outfits. Isn't that awesome? And uh, Jim, like myself, used to have more hair, and uh, I love the bottom left one right there because they were pastors, you know, and they got the the Bible and they're going to church, and I just I love the glasses. And uh, anyway, um, the other one, I think they're in this service. They should be here if they're here. Is Reuben and Liz, are you guys in this service this morning? Flores. Okay, well, if they're not, and they're not in this service, they're usually here in this service. Uh, Reuben has the gift of bringing me a cough drop after every service. That's like his calling, and uh, he does it every service that he's here. Uh, But they actually celebrate 50 years in, I think, about three weeks or so from now. And so we're giving them the benefit of the doubt that if they made it this far, they could cross the finish line to 50. Um, You know, technically, if they don't make it, we're going to have to do a rebuttal uh, from this message. But but it's crazy because you marry somebody, and anybody who's been married for length of time, you recognize that when you marry them, you marry one person. Five years in, ten years in, they're they're kind of a different person than you married. Like their likes, their dislikes, and a lot of things change over the course of a marriage. Styles, as you saw the picture with Jim and Chris, your styles of your clothing, different things like that, they shift. Recreational activities, they shift. Things you enjoy doing together, vacation destinations, and different things that you enjoy doing together. It shifts with time and experience and age. And while the person stays the same, they are the same person, they very much adapt and evolve throughout the course of their marriage, right? And, and if you've been married very long, you, you know that. And that's what's kind of going on right here with these Hebrews, that, that everything is shifting. It's not that God changed. God is immutable. That's the theological word to say he cannot change. It's not that God is changing, but it is very much the way that they are understanding God is changing. And so all that they have practiced, all that they have known, all that they have celebrated all these years is changing. And they were expected to change as well. So right in the middle of this, like like I think the writer of Hebrews fills this tension with his audience. He knows this is a lot to change all of a sudden. There's a lot going on. So right in the middle of this as kind of a way to calm their nerves and say, hey, it's it's going to be okay. He throws out this verse that you probably have memorized or know so well that you could quote it right off the bat. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 8. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. How many of you know that verse? How many of you could have finished that verse without me finishing it? Okay, lots of you. You know that's a famous, famous verse. What you may not have gotten is the context of why that verse matters. The other thing I want you to see here is the very next verse needs to be tied to the verse 8. And oftentimes when we quote it, we don't go to the next verse. But the next verse, verse 9 says, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Anybody ever heard any strange teachings? Oh, come on, you can admit this, come on. There's some strange teachings. I'm going to give you a few of them today. Some strange teaching. And he's saying here, hey, Jesus is not going to change, but lots of things do change. God's love and God's grace do not change. The cross does not change. The preaching of the gospel, the gospel itself does not change. Yet the method of preaching changes radically. I mean, today I'm standing on a stage with a pulpit, I'm pretty sure. 
<coughs> that Peter did not have that on the day of Pentecost when he started out. And so this can be difficult for some people. Anytime you talk about change, it can be difficult. All right, so let me set you up for this message to do well today. This is a different kind of message for us. Uh, first of all, I'm going to go deep pretty quickly. And I'm going to expect you to go deep with me and take this uh, context of this verse and what's going on into today's appraisal of our society and go deep. Uh, that's not going to be hard, but then we're going to get offensive to some of you. I'm just warning you in advance. Pull, pull your toes in, whatever, get offended. If you're like, I never get offended, you might get offended at this service. If you're the type of person that thinks, oh, I wish so-and-so would be here today because they need to hear this. Stop thinking about so-and-so and think about yourself. Okay? Um, they don't need to be here. You need to be here. If they needed to be here, God would have brought them here. You need to be here. That's why you're here. Okay. So, so we're going to offend some people in this room. But I promise you by the time we're going to get to the end, it's all going to make sense, all right? So we're going to take a deep dive for a second. Number one, our enemy works primarily through soft power. Soft power. This is if you're taking notes. Soft power. Now, there's two types of power when it comes to uh, overcoming someone or something. Hard power is pretty obvious. Hard power is kind of like military power. If a military from one country is going to overtake another country, traditionally they used military power. They came in with tanks and guns and, and, and aircraft of different types, and they're going to overtake them. And you know when you've been taken over by, by hard power, it's very obvious. If physically, if two guys get in a fight, or two girls, whatever, get in a fight, right, you know when somebody has won or lost. You know what hard power looks like. It's very obvious in front of you. However, what we don't do so well is recognize soft power. The New Testament refers to it quite a bit. In fact, Colossians 2.8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Hollow and deceptive philosophy. Think about that. I know if I take you captive, if I literally grab your arms and put you in handcuffs or stocks of some sort, I know, you know that you're taken captive. But do you realize that you can be taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy? Huh. Which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So you can be taken captive on things that depend on spiritual Forces. That's interesting. See, see, the great threat is not always physical danger, but hollow and deceptive philosophy. I'll remind you, we love to talk about, especially when we're talking to our kids or something, the armor of God. And Philippians 6 says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then Paul begins describing the devil's schemes. And he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's hard power. It's not against hard power, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Soft power. Something you cannot see can hurt you. Something you cannot see can take you captive. Think about that for a second. So soft power, when we see this modeled inside of our, our world today, soft power is the influence that someone or something has over somebody else or something else that influences them in such a way that without forcing anything on them, you get them to follow your ways. In fact, uh, I love to quote this. The people would talk about leadership. My doctorate's in leadership that I'm doing. Uh, uh, leadership, is, is, leadership is getting someone to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. Leadership is getting someone to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. Soft power is getting someone to do what you want them to do because they think they want to do it. The difference between leadership and manipulation is all about the heart of what's going on inside of a person. 
And so, 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 so soft power is this way of influencing uh, what's going on outside of the world. Think about the very fact that we can have kids around the world that wants to dress like American kids because of the soft power of Hollywood that we export around the world. Hollywood is very much a part of, 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 of soft power. And so this, this war of ideologies begins to take place. And some people have called it information coloni- uh, colonization. Information colonization. That, that the information would colonize people on another side of the planet so they would look like us, act like us, without us ever taking power, fighting them physically, you are essentially making them part of your territory. Does this make sense? I told you we're going on a deep dive. And so... We still, in a very real ways, colonize other cultures. We just do it through soft power. Now, number two, soft power works easily on believers. For whatever reason, it seems to work well on believers. Believers, by their nature, believe. We might be a little bit more adept to believing. Some people would say it works on everybody. I agree. But believers seem to be even a little bit easier to be influenced by soft power. And the problem with that is simply this, that soft power is a far greater threat to following Jesus than hard power. If I were to come up to you or somebody were to come up to you today and put a gun to your head and say, if you don't renounce Jesus right now, I'm going to shoot you and kill you. I would say probably a lot of people would say, go ahead and shoot me. I'm not going to renounce Jesus, right? That's hard power. It's relatively obvious. You can stand up against it uh, in a relatively easy way. Soft power is different, though. Soft power is I can't turn off Netflix to read my Bible, so I end up walking away from God because of a soft influence I'm allowing in my life that nobody's making me do anything, but I'm choosing what I want to do because of the soft flower influence on my life. Does this make sense? That is exactly the way our enemy works. He will use the soft power of the influence of this world to change the way you think about things and make you want to do what you really didn't want to do before. Hard power we can stand up against. So, so we do things like, like, like redefine our sexual values in America, not by hard power. No, nobody ever took over and said, this is the way it's going to be from here on out. It was a very slow fade and slow power of the cultural influence shifting to make you think certain things about certain things. In fact, hard power, uh, sometimes, I've done this a couple times in Hillsborough County, but, but we'll stand up at school board meetings and, and maybe they're talking about teaching um, um, you know, sex education in kindergarten or something like that, the crazy stuff that goes on in our society. And, and says people will stand up and say, that's wrong. And we'll have school board meetings where we stand up as a, as a body of Christ, meaning all denominations kind of standing up and going, hey, this is wrong. We should not be doing this, right? That's hard power, though. It's relatively simple. We all see it there. It's, it's not rocket science to see it. But what about the Disney movie your kids are watching that's teaching them about sexuality when you're not paying attention? And it's soft power, and it's so insidious. It's such a thing that you don't even see it coming. It weaves its way into our world in such a way that you don't even see it. And before you know it, it's changed the way you think about things. And we're worried about what's happening in the school, but the truth is we invited it in our house long before that. It's soft power compared to hard power. It's easy to stand up against hard power. You see it coming. You can stand up and fight, but soft power, that's a whole nother thing. Now, here's the thing. Spiritual warfare looks a lot like soft power. In fact, I could say it this way. Spiritual warfare is almost always a battle over truth. Battle over truth. There's a lot of talk right now about uh, demonic things in our church and and things like that and and, um, uh, deliverance. Uh, Anytime we're working in deliverance, the ultimate thing is that there was a lie somewhere that was believed, it was accepted, and you need to replace that lie with the truth. 
John 8, 44, Jesus is talking, and he's talking about Satan, and he says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the father of lies, the one who gives birth to lies, that's what a father does, who, who inseminates the seed of a lie in your mind, is the enemy, is the devil. Are you with me? He is the one who's inseminating these lies, and these lies, these, these, these slight little small things that we take in, is what ends up making us follow a path that most of us would never normally ever even consider following. On the other hand, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the... Yeah, you go, I am the way and the... He's the truth. He's the truth. He is the opposite. He's trying to replace the lies that we've believed with the truth of God's Word. And so the enemy works in this kind of way. Think about the very fact that when, when, when the devil gets ready to tempt Eve, he, he tempts Eve, but he doesn't go to her with a baseball bat or a gun or a bow or whatever they would have had. I don't know. He doesn't come to her with a weapon and say, eat this fruit or I'm going to kill you. Why? Because she would have never eaten it. It would have never happened. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a hard power, and it's obvious, and you know how to stand up to that. But what he comes to her with is a lie. He inseminates a lie in her, her head. This idea that God can't be trusted. And he comes to her with that idea, and then that idea leads to sin. The enemy still works in the exact same way. It has not changed. Dallas Willard, the great uh, philosopher and theologian, was a philosopher at USC for years uh, I'm a big fan of Dallas Willard myself. He said, when Satan undertook to draw Eve away from God, he did not hit her with a stick, but with an idea. It was an idea that God could not be trusted and that she must act on her own to secure her own well-being. Does that make sense so far? Are we all together? I know this is deeper. We're talking about different ways. I promise you it's going to make some connections to us in a few minutes. All right, we're all together so far. Secondly, and you all know this, we are in a crisis of truth. <clears throat> is it any, 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 um, uh, may, maybe there's a connection here that at the same time that we're kicking Jesus out of the public square, we also find ourselves in a crisis of truth. Jesus is the truth. We kick him out and all of a sudden we don't know what's true and what's not true. So we have this battle of truth going on across the United States and, and we have fake news and all these things that are going on. And what we end up with is the weaponization of information so that information can be weaponized to get you to do something through soft power that you would normally never do in order to get somebody's agenda done. Does that make sense? And we're seeing this all over the place right now. It's intentionally causing chaos and division. In fact, modern warfare is sometimes referred to as disinformation campaigns. That is a whole way of modern warfare. And so what it does is take something that's already there in one degree, and it uses the momentum of that thing to manipulate you to get what they want out of you. It's like judo. Anybody know anything about judo? Judo, the whole idea is in judo, and that kind of uh, uh, martial art, in judo, you're going to use the other person's momentum. If they're coming at you, you're going to use that momentum to throw them where they're going. So you're going to use what's already there, but you're going to use it against them. All right, you ready? Racism exists. But if you're not careful, you're going to allow somebody to use what's already there for their agenda, use you to be part of something that's destructive. 
feminism and different issues. We could go on and meet them. They do exist because if it wasn't there, you wouldn't be able to use it at all. But they will use the momentum of something to get their agenda done, which is usually not heaven's agenda. So they take what's already there, use it like judo, judo to, to, to uh, get you to do their, their bidding. All right, so, so what are you talking about? Let me, let me help you make sense. Okay. Um, a few years ago, there was a, a girl in Russia uh, that was against manspreading. Anybody heard of manspreading? All the men that were on the front row in the last service that I teased are all gone except Sam. He's the only one brave enough to still be here. Manspreading. That's where men like sit down, but they spread their legs, right? That's what kind of men generally do. Um, not always, but generally. And so men's legs stick out like that, right? It's manspreading. That's what this referred to as by the feminists. And so in Russia, there was a girl who finally had enough of it. She goes on a video. She introduces what she's going to do. And she takes a bottle of bleach and goes into the subway. And she says, I'm going to spill bleach on every guy who and ruin their pants, every guy that I see manspreading. Right? All right, watch this video. I'm going to talk over it as it goes. But she said, I'm going to go into the subway. And I got this bottle of bleach. I'm going to ruin everybody's pants, every guy that I find that's manspreading. Here you go. Every kid, every guy. See, he's manspreading. He's got his legs further apart. So I'm going to ruin their pants. <clears throat> okay. So, how does this video make you feel? Yeah, I got to talk back to me. How does this video make you feel? Anybody frustrated and annoyed? Especially guys, right? Right, women probably too, but especially guys, right? She's ruining their clothes, right? Anybody, anybody like me, like you're like, this is... Can you, can you just admit that? Okay. All right. Watch this. You can, you can pause it. That video was fake. Completely a hoax. It went viral almost overnight. Shot up. Because everybody who was against feminism all used that video to go, that's what feminists are. She knew exactly what she was doing, and everybody got irate and angry, and you do realize that once you react, it's hard to back up. So once I react to this, it's very hard to back up. In fact, even when you do back up, even when you do say, oh, well, that video was fake, and da da da, it's already forgotten by then. You've already made your position known. You, if you were involved in that back a few years ago when that came out, just got used by a small group in Russia to be angry at a large group in America. Are you with me? You see what just happened there? It's something that was there. They just used that momentum against you and used your social media accounts to spread it and shoot it down the tracks. Does that make sense? And we're seeing that play all over the place in the United States of America right now. So we don't know what to believe as true and what to believe as false. So we see something, we're told we're supposed to react to it, which you never react well when you react to anything. And so I got to react to it, and so I got to spread it, I got to show, I got I got a virtue signal, I got to tell people what I think about this. Before you ever get any information, you're expected to react, and you end up being the stooge of somebody trying to accomplish something through you. It's soft power. And it brings chaos, and it brings out the worst in 
people. And so social media especially can be weaponized with soft power, and it has been, especially during our political season and even now on the other side of it, where people want to get a reaction out of you because they know you'll get angry, you'll get hot, and so they will spread things that have a little bit of truth in it and a whole lot of untruth to get you and I on their side. Are you with me? Have you seen this play out? Told you we're going to deeper dive. Did you realize, though, that that is also the exact attack of the enemy? That's the way he works. It's the way he's always worked. It's the soft power. It's the deceiving ideas. It's the lies that get disseminated as truth. <laughs> so, so, so in the context of this, he says, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. The context of this is that people in this era, uh, uh, the Hebrews, are going to have these, these religious teachings all over again and these strange teachings that say uh, there's more than one Messiah or that there's strange teachings that might say something like, like uh, uh, you still have to practice these certain religious laws to be a follower of Jesus and all these things. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, don't be caught up in these strange teachings. Christians, we still get caught up in strange teachings. Prosperity gospel. For the record, you won't find anything even similar to that in the Bible. Prosperity gospel. Hyper grace movement. That's, that's a modern American thing where it's like hyper grace, just God's grace is just like do whatever you want the rest of your life and God's grace just covers. Like that's, that's not the way grace works. So, so those kind of things happen. I think Christians, we, we tend to find ourselves on the fringes a lot. And it never fails. Like some people, like they get saved and they don't know like anything about the rest of the Bible, but they want to immediately go to the book of Revelation. Come on, you know you've been there. You know somebody's been there. And they want, to, they want to expound on the book of Revelation and all of the mysteries of Revelation. They don't even know the Gospels yet, but I'm going to understand Revelation. Fifty years later, they still don't understand Revelation because nobody understands all of Revelation. Come on. I have friends that have doctors. I have two friends that have PhDs in the book of Revelation. Their, their dissertation was on Revelation. I still don't think they know what they're talking about. So much allegory and stuff. My point is, for some reason in our minds, instead of taking what is obviously there, we love to take mysteries and all these ideas out here and live out here on the edges instead of going to what is the center of it all. It's human nature, I think. Okay? It's about to get really tense. Y'all ready for this? We have to be so careful that we don't lose our witness in the middle of living on the fringes. And I think that's part of what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. So, I had a guy one time, a few years ago, I met him here at the church for something going on, who um, had two of them back to back within a 60 second time frame. First of all, he's telling me his life story, how he was radically saved by Jesus. Beautiful. The very next thing he tells me is how there's a conspiracy because we actually live on a flat earth and it's not round. Back to back. All of a sudden, because he's a flat earther, or he would call me a round earther, whatever, all of a sudden, I have a hard time believing the first part of his testimony because he just connected it to the second part. Beyond that, within a 60-second time frame, he then discorded to me or, or taught me how there was a new cannabis cream, because all this is, you know, there's a new cannabis cream that if I put it on my head, my hair would grow back. Convinced, like, like, again, this is why it's going to offend people because some of you are laughing, but others are like, yeah, I know. I I've been telling you this for years, Pastor. This is why it's offending people because people are laughing at you right now. It's funny that when something is legalized, all of a sudden it becomes a miracle, miracle cure for everything, right? It's the fringes. It's the fringes. Fringes. There, there was a guy in our church 
who left our church a few years ago, it was, this was never said, but I'm pretty confident, the reason why he left the church is when he explained his views to me that September 11th never happened and it was all a hoax, that when he explained that to me, actually I laughed the first time because I thought he was kidding. I really did, which was probably extra offensive to him. And then I realized he wasn't kidding and I tried to reason with him and you can't reason with somebody like that. This is why it's offensive to somebody because somebody in this room, you believe it was a hoax. And so you live out there. So in one second, you're like, Jesus healed me! And September 11th was all fake. You just lost all your testimony. You just lost all your witness. Because you're living on the fringes instead of with what you know stays the same. This could go on and on and on and on. Listen, I hate to bust anybody's bubble. Donald Trump is not living in South Florida in his basement running the country from there. This is why it's funny, because some of you will laugh and some of you get offended because other people laughed. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. It does not have a computer chip in it. If you get the vaccine or not, that's between you and God. But don't put your Christianity in the middle of it as if it's like, I can't get it because it's the mark of the beast. No, that has nothing to do with the mark of the beast. And we have this cognitive bias to see what we want to see. It's human nature. And so if you want to believe something, you're going to find evidence for that thing. And it's true of every one of us, every one of us. And we're going to find evidence for it. So therefore, we start finding evidence for it. Social media, the way it works, it puts you into groups that are similar and like-minded. Google will change your, your search engines to match what they think you want to find. Therefore, you end up in an in a echo chamber, chamber where everybody says the same thing you say. So everybody agrees with me. That makes it must be true. I'm, I'm trying to help somebody out here. I'm trying to help someone. Okay. All right, if we haven't offended you yet, I'm about to. There's something called the Dunning-Kruger effect. I explained it to you a couple years ago. Uh, I'm going to bring it back around to the table again this morning. Uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect came from a guy by the name of MacArthur Wheeler. He was up in Pittsburgh area and uh, not the sharpest tool in the shed. Um, he had learned that you can make disappearing ink off of uh, lemon juice on paper. You can make disappearing ink. Fun little habit, fun little thing. Go ahead and do it. Um, and so he connected disappearing ink to if I put the lemon juice on my face, my face would disappear from cameras and things like that. So MacArthur goes, puts, um, God bless him, puts lemon juice all over his face, can't hardly open his eyes because lemon juice is all in his eyeballs, and he's got lemon juice all over his face, and goes and robs two banks with nothing covering his face, two banks in Pittsburgh, and goes home, convinced that they cannot see his face. That night, they put his face on the evening news. They catch him within, I mean, you know, it's like, it's not rocket science for police detectives. And so they go catch him. And when they catch him, the police detectives were all kind of confused because he's going, but how did you see me? How could you see me? I had the juice on. How could you see me? And they're like, what are you talking about? He's like, I had the juice on. That's when the story start to break that he believed that lemon juice would make his face disappear in front of cameras. Somebody had convinced him of that. Blah, blah, blah. He was 100% fully convinced. So much so that he robbed not one but two banks. Are you with me? But he was not accurate. <laughs> Here's what the Dunning-Kruger effect, that's, that began a study that actually pointed, and you see it here, that the people that know the least oftentimes think they know the best or are the most confident about what they know. I read it online. My buddy told me. I watched a YouTube video, and now I am fully confident. Do you, do you know that the more educated you become, the less confident you often are? 
because you realize how non-confident. And so somebody who has a little bit of information oftentimes is extremely confident. Let him who has ears hear. (laughs) And so we find ourselves in this world where gullible Christians end up giving Christianity a bad name and we lose our witness. Because on one hand, we're talking about QAnon and how Tom Cruise is eating babies. And then we're sharing about the gospel message in the very next post on social media or the next conversation at the water cooler. Are you with me? I told you I'm just going to offend everybody. On one hand, uh, you know, you're talking about the vaccine is the mark of the beast. And if you take it, you belong to the devil from then on. And they're going to put a computer chip in you. And then the very next time you're talking about how God healed you and, and, and you know, delivered you. And now all of a sudden I can't believe either one because I've lost my testimony. On one hand, you're talking about how the Bible is true, and I love the Bible, and God speaks to me through the Bible, and then the very next hand, you're talking about how we live on a flat earth, and the whole round thing is all just a big hoax. And then if somebody actually calls you on it, all of a sudden, you are looked at as the stooge, and you know, you don't know anything, and you're just part of the problem, and you're just part of the system, and anybody, y'all with me? I know there's a different kind of message. And we start being looked at as that. And I think we have to be very careful of living on the margins where truth no longer exists that was in the middle. And that is the very place that the enemy loves to live. And Christians around America right now, and have been for quite a while, Christians around America are living on a fringe truth that's far from the gospel, and it's lessening the value of the truth the whole time. And the truth gets connected, so the gospel message gets connected to all Christians believe, da-da-da-da. In fact, I'm I'm personally so sick of hearing like on news channels and stuff, and they're like, white evangelicals do, da-da-da. I'm like, what? Like, you recognize that's more than one person. Like, okay. Anyway. And so we get characterized by these friends' groups, which then loses the testimony of the truth that we hold in the beginning. Y'all with me? All right, now let's turn it. Let's, 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 let's bring it back to a positive note. Number three, believers in Jesus. We have to focus on believing the truth, okay? We are people of truth. That's what we are. We do not check our brains at the door. We don't just believe everything people tell us. We are absolutely scientific and philosophical and using reason and all of those things. That's who we are. In fact, we have our apologetics month and conference coming next month. Be here. The first 100 uh, people to sign up, get a free book and a goodie bag and other kind of stuff like that. I think we're somewhere like 70 or something last I heard uh, that are signed up for it. But we want a couple hundred people here. It's going to be awesome. Don't miss the apologetics conference. But we have to be people that know the truth, study the truth. Now, this is what people will say. Well, how do I know what the truth is in the world full of fake news? If you want to know the truth, don't study the fake news. Study the truth. Uh, Somebody told me years ago, they said, said, if you want to know how to spot a counterfeit bill, you you don't study all the million counterfeit bills that are out there, you study the actual bill. And when you study the actual bill, the certain one, then all of a sudden you will recognize all the ones that are not right. Study the truth. Focus on that. And that was the message of Jesus. That was his job. And that's our job. In fact, Jesus, when he stood before Pilate, Pilate said, you are a king then. And Jesus answered and said, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone who's on the side of truth listens to me. 
Pilate said, what is truth? That sounds like today's society. Jesus is saying, you're so deluded by truth, you don't recognize it. I am the truth. Hold to me. Hold to my teaching. So how do we do that? Let me give you three quick ideas. Number one, we have to be truth evaluators. <coughs> truth evaluators. These are people who can spot truth and evaluate truth. Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snake and as snakes and as innocent as doves. So be truth evaluators. What does that mean? Don't react. You are in a society that wants you to react to everything. Process things. Make a decision about things, but don't just suddenly react. You and I both know that when we react, we almost always react poorly. If you don't think about it, if you don't process it, and I just react... I'm going to make a bad decision time after time. So think things through. Pray about these things. Listen to God. Listen, you're going to hear this truth and that truth and this truth and that truth. What happened to going back to Jesus Christ, who is the truth, and saying, Jesus, what, what's going on here? What is the truth? <laughs> Anybody? Y'all with me? Okay. So we need to be truth evaluators. We need to be truth protectors. Truth protectors. Let me tell you a secret. I'm going to help you out. If you want to be a valuable person in the future, be a truth protector. Information is coming at people everywhere, but truth is getting more and more scarce. When something is scarce, it goes up in value. If you will be a person that holds to truth, that holds to truth and doesn't, get fall, doesn't fall into every trap and every idea and everything that's going on out there, and you hold to truth, you will become more valuable to society in the future. Because when everybody else is running around like a chicken with their head cut off, not knowing what to believe, and this person said that, and that person said this, and running around, you will be the one who stands strong in the middle of that, holding to truth, and you will become valuable to society. Are y'all with me? And then the third thing, we must be truth proclaimers. Truth proclaimers. People that speak up to the truth. That recognize that Jesus is the center of all of it. And I, I'm glad that you vote this way or believe this thing or those kind of things. But I'm going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to mix it up with my other ideas and my other thoughts. I'm going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and hold to that. <laughs> Y'all are way too quiet. <coughs> All right, let's try it this way. Let's, let's wrap it up, put a little bow on it, make it nice and neat for you, okay? People say to me, or I hear this, they say, I don't know what to believe nowadays. I hear that fairly consistently. I bet you hear it too. You got this news person saying that, that one saying this, this person on social media, this buddy, this friend. I don't know what to believe nowadays. Sounds a little bit like the Hebrews. All this is changing. Everything is changing I used to know what to believe. I used to know I, I, I practiced these elements of my religion and, and these things. And now everything is shifting and it's going to this relationship. And I don't even know hardly what to believe anymore. So the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So amidst all these crazy philosophies, all these wild ideas, hold tightly to Jesus because he's unchanging. The other stuff will change. Jesus is unchanging. You know what that means? I told you I'm going to make this nice at the end. That means that whatever Jesus did yesterday, he can still do today, which will affect your tomorrow. If Jesus healed the drug addict yesterday, he can heal the drug addict today. 
If he, Jesus healed cancer yesterday, he can heal cancer today. If Jesus raised up a paralytic in the Bible, he can raise up a paralytic today. What he did yesterday, he can do today. You don't need to be on the fringes of every weird idea and every crazy thing out there. When you really get a hold of who Jesus is yesterday, you'll know who he is today. It is powerful for tomorrow. Stand up with me. We're going to wrap up. So what did Jesus do yesterday? Pastor Jason was talking about it during worship. Your testimony becomes a testament of what Jesus is going to do or can do today and tomorrow. Whatever he has done is evidence of what he can do. And you can start with the Bible, the Word of God. That's the foundation of all of it. If you see Jesus doing it in the Bible, he can do it for you today. You can also then go to your own testimony. What has Jesus done in your life? What have you experienced God doing in your life? Because if he did it then, he can do it today. And if he did it today, he can do it tomorrow because he's the same. We don't need to get on the fringes. <laughs> you, you, you need to connect this to you. you need to, if Jesus did a financial miracle in your life yesterday, he can do it today. And I don't need to worry about tomorrow. People get all up in arms because of all these things. I don't need to worry about tomorrow because if Jesus protected me yesterday, he'll protect me tomorrow. Here, what if I lose my job? Did Jesus, was he there when you lost your job yesterday? Well, yeah, he'll be there tomorrow. What, what, what my, my child is wayward and they're wandering away from God. Well, did he rescue anybody else's wayward child? Then he can rescue your wayward child. But the enemy wants us to get so caught up in these fringe ideas and these fringe things way out here that we're so lost that we forget who Jesus is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Hold to him. Hold to him. Man. And so he's writing to these Hebrews and he's like, he's like, who he was there is who he is here. But who was he there? You don't understand, when they're looking back through the Old Testament, they would find that Jesus was the God of yesterday. He was the fourth man in the fire. He, he, he was the, the water that came from the rock. He was the ram in the thicket. He was the manna that fell from heaven. He was the cloud that led him by day and the fire that led him by night. He was the ark that Noah was, the people were put on to rescue them. He was the tabernacle. He was those things. And if he was those things, he is those things. <laughs> so what am I saying? You don't need to get caught up in every fringe idea, every crazy teaching, every wild idea. That's the enemy's territory where he loves to get you off base. Just hold to the center. Besides, Israel Houghton sings that song. Jesus is the center of it all. He's the, I just got to hold to him. If I hold to him, I got all I need. I don't need your weird idea. I don't need that thing. I don't need this weird gospel. I don't need this hyper grace. I just hold to Jesus. Oh my goodness. The other thing, the other thing is that because he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that means if your yesterday has haunted you, he can step in and change your tomorrow today. Some people were like, like, like I, I had a DUI yesterday and it's been haunting me all these years. You can have forgiveness of that by him stepping into today and it'll change your tomorrow. I, I had an abortion and God couldn't possibly want you. God can forgive your abortion by stepping into your life today and changing your tomorrow. 
yesterday should never be terrorizing your tomorrow when you have Jesus. That's good. Somebody should tweet that. Your yesterday should never be terrorizing your tomorrow when you have Jesus today. It all changes there. It all changes there.